Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So here in the lab, the queer Dharma lab, I get to experiment with understanding how is difficulty and suffering constructed? So how does this come to be in one's life existence? So I'll share with you a couple of different avenues you could check out in this. courtesy of the Buddha. So one is that uh, that which we are, experience as our life, whether it's on retreat or off retreat, is actually this sequence of experiences that rapidly change and that we experience through different senses. So as humans, we see things, smell things, taste things, hear things, touch things, experience things through the body. And also in this Buddhist psychology, the sixth sense field is considered the mind. So as we go through the world, our life, and this is the same at home as it is on retreat, there's a sight that arises when one is conscious there's enough light, seeing happens. There's an experience of hearing that happens when there's a sound. Sound, you're conscious, the ear, experience of hearing comes. And same with the experience of smell, taste, experience of touch. And also, helpfully to note, it's the same with the experience of the mind. So there are these fleeting experiences in what you could call the field of the mind where something arises and is known, which is a thought, an image, a memory, a plan, anything like that. But it's just arising and then it goes very quickly. So now also in these fields these different experiences can be felt to have a certain kind of valence of being pleasant or unpleasant or neither. And usually we don't tune into this aspect of it, that it might be pleasant or unpleasant. It's possible for it to be known as unpleasant and just let it arise, pass away, change in whatever way it does, as everything does. But usually uh, we start to think about it. So there's ideas about it in the mind. And then the mind proliferates about it, if you will, kind of makes a big story about it. And then even when that initial, let's say a sound, is already gone, we're roiling and suffering about it. So example, if there is, let's say, a sound that comes sitting in the hall and it sounds like something loud, it's actually unpleasant quality to it for us. Someone else might experience it as pleasant. And then in our mind is an image of a truck. We identify that sound as truck. Then we start to think about it. Why are they having trucks here? It's a meditation center. should be quiet. It's in the country. I came here to get away from trucks and noise and traffic. And then maybe if we have the certain kind of mind, we start to do planning. They should have the trucks arrive just at lunchtime between 12 and 2, not during the meditation time. I should write them a note. We'll 
organize this properly, you know. Meanwhile, the actual sound of the truck is already gone, right? Like there's no more sound there. So we think in our mind, the truck is bothering me, right? Or someone breathing is bothering me, or, uh, you know, whatever it is, that, it's that object's fault. But actually it's just that whatever that seeming object is has been experienced as unpleasant, and then there is a thought in the mind about it, and then we kind of make a story about it. The story usually involves me and blank, the other object, uh, and thus a problem is born, and in fact played out much more than necessary. So really, is the object bothering you, or is your own mind bothering you? <laughs> Or maybe it's just, even those thoughts could just be thoughts and you could kind of laugh at them or not take them as seriously if you could just see those as thoughts coming and going. So similarly, sometimes there's something pleasant that arises and in one of the fields, it could even be a thought of something pleasant and that too could just be allowed to come and go like everything in nature. Um, But the mind gloms onto that as a possible uh, place to take refuge or find pleasant experience. Any pleasant experience is just going to be there for a little while and go. So that's true of every good taste you've had or good smell you've had or nice music you've heard or uh, positive experience of the body. Everything has been temporary and that's going to be true for the rest of your life. Like you can't have a permanent and not ending, unchanging experience. But the unawakened mind doesn't get that and so longs for that, kind of gloms onto, obsesses about this pleasant experience, whether that's an imagined uh, food item, imagined uh, sexual experience, imagined relationship, um, anything, you know, if you will. And then it's like, oh, I am unhappy because I don't have that. I need that. That is missing. So then the mind obsesses about it. Meanwhile, actually here back at Insight Meditation, uh, <laughs> just breathing quietly, no one's bothering you. Everything's actually okay, right? But uh, there's been the arising of this idea that this is missing and I want that, I need that. So then the mind gloms onto that. Now with that one, as with the other one, the place to look is not at the object, but at that movement of mind, that obsession, that kind of thing. So it's actually that which is the suffering. So we usually think, once I get this object, then I'll be free. In some ways it's true, because once you get that object, then for a moment this leaning quality might stop. But very quickly it finds another object, right? So you could remember if you've had this in your life, like maybe at some point you really wanted, let's say, like the iPhone 6. At that time you had the iPhone 4, so you really wanted the iPhone 6. And then maybe you like scrimped and saved and planned and watched all the videos about how cool it was. Finally you got it for a moment, it was cool, until out came the iPhone 7. <laughs> right? And then the... You know, this iPhone 6 fell away as an object, then iPhone 7 arises. Like, I must have that. That's going to solve all my problems. Look how good the camera is, whatever, right? <laughs> Until that falls away, et cetera, et cetera, right? So society's actually constructed the <laughs> capitalism on keeping this going. So you can see through that. It doesn't mean that you can't have phones or whatever experiences. It's that leaning obsessive quality and it kind of goes back to this uh, taking refuge you know there's a way in which we erroneously take refuge in the idea that getting this thing is going to solve it all for me so when you notice the this pattern arising you can see this pattern of uh, craving desire particularly this like sort of obsessive quality of it Feel the pain of that, like bring awareness, bring mindfulness to feeling the suffering of that pattern. So try not to get duped by the shiny qualities of this object in this kind of constantly changing, like insert photo here uh, area. 
like of whatever it is that you want next. So you could play with uh, checking this out in your experience, if this is true. The leaning towards being the suffering, the pushing away itself. Uh, And if there is, usually you might notice it only once you're caught in that pattern. Uh, But occasionally you might be able to notice it sooner, and then you could notice like, oh, there's an unpleasant quality, which includes like for, let's say, a body experience of pain, there's an unpleasant experience of a sensation in the body that then the mind labels my knee. My knee hurts. Ring the bell to make this end, etc. So it's possible to practice with a curiosity investigation, bringing the attention to that area and observing those sensations and actually labeling it as unpleasant, just knowing it as unpleasant. And it's actually possible to be present with intense things. Mindfulness can meet any experience. It's possible to be present with uh, very unpleasant, very pleasant, or very neutral things. But we have to train to do that because our habit is usually to run away from the unpleasant, to grasp after the pleasant, and then often to space out during the neutral times. So that's probably plenty to work with for this morning. You can see if this is true in your own, your own field of experience. Uh, check it out. So back to the lab here. And it can help in this uh, different sense fields. You know, when you're sitting, usually you have the experience of the body, the experience of the mind, and the experience of sound. So can help to ground in one of those areas and because experience of the mind is so slippery that's not a good one to pick to try to ground in so the body or sound the body could include this general sense of the body sitting or the breath you can feel your sense of groundedness in one of these ways could be in the body. If you do, you can sense your connection, your groundedness here through your feet or butt on the cushion, chair. If you like, you can take a deep breath in and as you exhale, just try to relax into being present. So in our efforts, we're aiming for the balance of being relaxed, but also being attentive. There's no need to be tense in the meditation, because everything is just arising on its own. It takes very slight effort to be present, but the continuity is the trick. So to remember to be present this moment, then this, this. But you just do your best. So you can tune into the overall sense of the aliveness of the body, body sitting, if the body is hard for you, you can shift open to the sense of hearing, just allowing sounds to come and go.
And if you're attending to the body, you might notice the body's breathing. If so, you can just connect with that very gently, wherever it's easiest to notice it. You can also stay in a general sense of the body sitting or hearing as an anchor for the attention. And then if it moves to another field, like the field of thinking, see if you can note that also. Just be mindful of that. Recognize it as different than hearing or sensing in the body. Notice how it changes, maybe almost as soon as you see it, and then it rests back with the body or the hearing. If there's some repeating thought that comes through over and over, you can notice if there is a sense in the body of uh, emotion or mood underlying that. If so, you can feel into that. Notice the sensations of that, whether it's sadness or anger, excitement. And try to bring the attention back to the body if you can. Feel the vibration, tingling, coolness, expansion, however it is as it moves through. <coughs> Rather than obsessing about the story that's coming in thoughts. 
And then as it passes, you can just shift back to your anchor, whether that's hearing or the body. Rest at ease as best you can. If there's ease in the mind, the body, just be with that. If there's some kind of struggle or suffering going on, you can just be curious what that is. Is there a sense of wanting or not wanting? What does that feel like directly in the body, in the mind? Feel the difficulty of that, the tension of that. Even feel the unpleasantness of that. And sometimes you can recognize that the object that catalyzed that has already gone. whether it's in the field of hearing, the body, sound, or thought. But if there you could investigate, notice if it's pleasant or unpleasant. And as it fades, just rest back in awareness of the aliveness of the body or hearing a breath.
And just noticing where your attention is. So shortly when you hear the sound of the bell, you can notice the arising of experience in the field of hearing. You can notice how this experience of sound just arises on its own without effort from you. And also how it eventually fades away. And see if you can tune in with attention to this experience of hearing. If the mind wavers to thinking about something, when you notice that, just gently bring it back until the bell is all rung out. At which point you could open your eyes, return to the group, bow if you like. So as I mentioned last night, we have some um, opportunities today for meetings in small groups with you. Um, The ones that meet with Pascal will be behind the dining hall there. The ones that meet with me will be behind the meditation hall, both outside. Uh, For these groups, um, they could check the board and see if your name is there. If it's not here today, it will be tomorrow or the next day. So it's a chance to check in about practice and also to hear 
the experience of others and possibly learn from their questions. So you could share if there's any uh, thing that you're struggling with so far, either in the retreat or in the kind of more technicalities of the meditation. You could also ask any question you have about the instructions and how to apply that to your experience. We don't need to hear your whole story of uh, either your past uh, meditation experience because we actually have your sheets that you filled out, so thank you for that. You also don't need to narrate the whole experience of what's happened so far in retreat. So um, mostly just, uh, yeah, we can be aware as we share in the space, both in the hall and the groups, to uh, share the space with others. So we'll have 45 minutes for the groups, and there's going to be about eight people or so there. So we can share what it is that is your challenge or question, and then give the teacher a chance to respond. Whenever anyone else is speaking, you get to practice mindful listening, which is a very good skill to practice. So this means you get to notice if you have any thoughts, reactions, responses, excellent advice, and you can silently note that, (laughs) observe that, keep it to yourself. Do not have to be the teacher today. You could relax. Yeah, so that being said, yeah, and also uh, please just go as, uh, you know, if you need to go to the bathroom, go ahead and do that, but otherwise just proceed uh, to the groups. So don't go and get tea and all this stuff and, like, go as soon as you can to the group so we can get them started and have them on time. You can have tea after if you want, for sure. So that being said, um, if there's anyone who's not in a group today um, who has a question about... uh, what was presented today or about your experience in meditation, um, then open for questions. And likewise here, you know, if you have a question, try to state it as sort of um, succinctly as possible and give more time for others' questions too. So if you have a question and you're in a group today, you could save it for the group, but the other two-thirds of people, yeah. Mm. So noticing the mask is an unpleasant addition to meditation. So how to work with that. Yeah, it's interesting during the pandemic, my experience of the mask wearing has been that uh, sometimes it might feel unpleasant if it's hot or something like that. Uh, Sometimes it feels neutral. By now I'm like quite used to it and it's just there. And then sometimes it actually feels pleasant. Like it's actually sort of cozy and warm and uh, or feels like it provides some sort of like privacy or protection or something like that. So one is in one's mind not to make a story of it that it's like always bad or always this or that, you know. So like notice in in this particular moment, maybe there's an experience of unpleasantness uh, of this experience. But we don't need to generalize it because then sometimes the mind can be like, why are they making us wear masks? The pandemic is over. It's really unnecessary, you know. So keep the energy from like spinning out in that way. And kind of in the way that I described in the instructions, you could just note it as an unpleasant sensation, if it is that, right? And even sort of one seeming thing can fluctuate. So maybe it's unpleasant, and then maybe it's sort of neutral for a while, like you forget about it for a while, right? Or it's just there and it's not this or that. Then maybe it's more unpleasant. So I'm not saying it always gets better when it changes, right? And then maybe it goes back to being sort of neutral, and then maybe a little unpleasant. So the investigation part is you could bring the attention to the direct sensations of it. And this means like detail, like, oh, is it like the unpleasant is here? Is it here? Is it here? Right? We're calling these things like broadly speaking unpleasant, but actually there's probably parts of it that are neutral and then parts that are unpleasant. And hey, maybe by surprise there's even some parts that are pleasant. You know, we don't know. So just make it another sort of object of investigation, you could say. And then if it helps, you know, it's some things that are unpleasant or difficult. There also is some meaning behind it, meaning like, you know, we wear the mask out of compassion and care for each other, right? So even though it's unpleasant, it's like, 
you could just take some intention, like may, may all beings be safe, or may we all be safe and healthy. Sometimes that helps to expand the way in which we hold that. Uh, sometimes it doesn't, <laughs> so, but you could play with that too. Others? Any questions or challenges you have? Okay, sorry, I didn't hear you after the hair and the arms. So. <laughs> so, so I look forward to the days when it's warm and he wears a short sleeve shirt and I have all these imaginings. And uh, so I'm craving Pascal, you know? How do I handle this? Mm. Yeah, so Pascal, as you are... So oh, in the veins, too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so now he's all covered up, too. Support your... Uh, <laughs> Um, and actually, it's interesting in, in the uh, Dharma, um, some monasteries in the um, in like some Asian countries, the Dharma teachers actually have a fan. You know, the, the mask is sort of like this. You know, a, like covering the face, and it's sort of like okay, we just want to hear the Dharma, but not get attached to the being. You know, um, and there actually are also stories from the time of the Buddha about. Um, people who fell in love with the meditation teacher, right, or seemingly, and then the Buddha would tell them, like, um, you know, they're actually in love with the Dharma, you know, primarily, right? So that, that uh, but that may not be true. Maybe it is the arms that are attractive to you, so, right? Um, so it's just another object in some ways, and, you know, this is probably not the first, like, pair of arms that has been interesting to you or attracted to you, right, in life. So it's like, there's something it's it's normal and natural in some ways like to be attracted to others and you know particularly in a queer retreat it's good you can speak this and not feel like oh no what if people know i'm gay or something right <laughs> so it's like oh yeah there's there's some aspect of um recognizing this desire that is it is naturally arising right and there's nothing wrong with it at all but then also like notice what the mind does with that so if it could be just a pleasant sight, right? The sight is pleasant, and that's totally fine. Like, other people might find it neutral. Uh, it could be the rare person who find it unpleasant, but, you know, mostly. <laughs> uh, so for you, it's, it's pleasant, but then usually we ascribe, like, it's inherently pleasant, right? Or the same thing with food, right? Like, let's say we like, um, like, uh, broccoli or something, and it's like, oh, broccoli is pleasant for us, but we ascribe that, like, broccoli is good, but... Different people have different experiences of that, right? Some people don't like it. Some people think it's neutral. So it's interesting to notice that and not ascribe, like, oh, there's a permanent pleasant thing. Because even with desire, like, it's, it's highly constructed, right? Based on, you know, our conditioning around uh, what is beautiful. And, like, across history, there's been different ideas of beauty, right? Of, like different sized bodies or different races or, you know, this and that, right? So I'm not saying this to undermine your uh, <laughs> uh, particular interest, but just to see, like, it's a relative arising. It's sort of a conditioned arising in the mind, right, of desire. And it's possible to see it as pleasant and sort of appreciate that, but not let the mind sort of run with it and be like, oh, if I could only be in Pascal's group, if he would only wear short sleeves, right? If I could only ask him on a date later, you know, like the mind can like run in that direction, like what a perfect life we had together and all this stuff. (laughs) And, um, you know, to sort of like just allow it to be what it is. Like, oh, it's like appreciation of beauty and that's 
that can be great and good and, and fine, you know, and allowing oneself to be uh, happy at that, like to enjoy, but not like then spend the whole time like thinking about that, right? And you might think like, why? Particularly with pleasant things. With unpleasant things, usually we're more clear, like, oh yeah, I don't want to roil around, like, um, you know, like let's say you hated my <laughs> sweater, you found it unpleasant, you know, I'd be like, oh, why do you wear that? I should wear something better. Then it's more clear, like, oh, uh, yeah, this is suffering that's spinning around in that thought pattern that's unnecessary. But with pleasant, it's harder for us to notice that, right? Because it's, there's something intoxicating about it. And also because we oftentimes ascribe that pleasantness as, like, absolutely true, you know, completely, like, accurate, and so it should be. But if you actually tune into that, the sort of spinning, if there is any with that, that too is like suffering in some way. Like it's kind of delusion, you know? It's like sort of like taking you out of being fully present. You're living in your sort of fantasy world, you know? Uh, so I think I had, uh, maybe the last reader I mentioned, the Zen story about someone who goes into a cave and they paint a picture of a tiger and then they go, ah, tiger, and they run out of the cave screaming, right? <laughs> With fear. So it's like, okay, in their mind there's something bad, scary, whatever it is, and then they believe that, and then they, like, have the emotional reaction, and, you know, so it's funny when you hear it, because it's like, oh, they made that up, but there's the opposite story, too, of someone who paints a picture of, like, a beautiful goddess or something, and then they fall in love with that image, and then they spend their time, like, worshipping in the cave, you know, like, that, that, that's, and that's sort of, like, what happens in our mind, it can happen in our mind with some kinds of, uh, like pleasant fantasy kind of things or desire, right? But it's kind of a balance, and I'm glad you brought it up because it's like we want to honor, like, yeah, this is natural thing of being drawn to someone or appreciating beauty or, uh, like, that can be totally good, fine. It's not like, oh, you need to repress that. It's bad, right? But it's sort of like um, notice what the mind does with that. Like, can it just leave it as an appreciation or even a love or joy and then let it go? Right? Or is it like the mind's is like, oh, I want more of that, right? Like, I want more of that, so I want them to wear a short sleeve. I want, more. <laughs> you know, notice when the mind does that, because then it's sort of like getting busy in something that's an imagined cave painting. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Maybe I should allow Pascal to say something if he wants, and not just be the object <laughs> of. Uh... <laughs> No, I was just thinking, well, the veins, you know, is a lipodystrophy. It's a side effect of uh, HIV and uh, medication. So just to see how it can be perceived, you know. Uh, And also I was thinking uh, how in the teachings, you know, it says, uh, imagine the hair now, you know, in the... That you find in the in the bathtub, you know, like once it's not on the skin anymore, <laughs> like, like, or in your in your soup at night, <laughs> you know? like oh, <laughs> suddenly. So it's very conditional in this way, you know. At the right moment, at the right place, it works. Then it doesn't work anymore. So it's uh, <laughs> highly unreliable. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so uh, another period for walking uh, meditation now for those who are not in the small groups. And yeah, there can be something um, very empowering about practicing being embodied, like being here, being alive as LGBTQIA plus people, you know, where so much of the time we might have been conditioned to not be present or to not be seen. So you could uh, practice this as your own kind of reconditioning of that to be fully here as possible as you walk back and forth like that. Retrain in joyful habitation of this unique animal body that we have. Yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs>